ladies, Lauren and RJ. The Frangie Show starts now on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Hey, welcome in. Glad you're along for the ride on a Thursday installment of our program. Our Thursday is always brought to you by our friends at Stanley Pool since 1988. The pool company in all of Jacksonville. My man, they've done multiple pools for us. They will for you as well. You want a pool, an enclosure, you want to redo your back, the pavers, the whole bit. Nobody does a better job than my friends at Stanley Pools. Frank Frangie, Hayes, Carline, Lauren Brooks with you on this Thursday. 30 years. How about that? It's been 30 years. It's amazing to me that that's the case because it doesn't seem like that long. I mean, yes, I was young. I was in yeah. fifth grade. So a lot of life has happened. But the first game and everything, it doesn't seem like it's possible that it's been 28 years. Do you know where you were? I do. Where were you? I was uh, I was 17, so I was uh, getting ready to be done in, in high school. Um, and so I was at my doctor because okay. I was getting the physical that you have to have to go to, like, college. I was going to Florida. Okay. And, and you were your senior year that. in high school. Yeah, so okay. I had, like, five more months, I guess, of my senior year. I was in the latter part of my, I guess, fall semester. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in the doctor's office uh, uh, going through the physical everything and uh, the nurse walked in and told us uh, we got the team and we were super excited. And it was, uh, you know, I was like, you know, getting a physical. So it was hard for me to <laughs> jump around. Yeah, and do it's, 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 yeah but, the uh, jumping during, yeah, the, yeah. particularly but, where you were in the physical, right. the jumping could be but, difficult. Uh, yeah, but no yeah, question. so no, it was uh, it was fantastic. And yeah, I'll always remember uh, where I was because I was getting my physical to go to college. How about that? Where were you? You remember? Do you school. know? Do you know? Do you remember the day? I remember. You yeah. do. I don't have the vivid well, memories that some people what do. What grade were you in? Fifth grade. Well, yeah. Well, it'd be hard for you to. But but, but I mean, so you. Have yeah, no... we we talked about it in class. Yeah. And the, everybody was excited, but we were also young enough that we weren't quite to the point where we realized how big it was for the city. Yeah. We just knew, oh, football. All right. Well, let's get a football team. That was that was kind of right. the fifth grade level of assessment. Okay. So, yeah. But you do remember. You really do remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. RJ, were you born or no? So when were they awarded? 90... 1993. Oh, man, so I'm still, I'm not even a thought yet. Okay, you weren't born. I, I didn't think you were born yet. So November of 30 years ago today, 30 years ago today, the Jags, uh, it was announced. I was at uh, Sports and More, or maybe it was called, there's a, there was a sports bar in Mandarin where, um, What's it called? Bonefish is now. If you know where Bonefish is in Mandarin, on, on State Road 13, it used to be a sports bar, exact location in the same place in the Strip Center. It used to be called Scores and More and Sports and More. It was called both. And I'm, I don't remember which one it was called at the time. It was one of them. They changed owners, and the owners changed like one word in the name. But anyway, we were Jay Solomon and I were doing a show there. Lamb was there. Um, and we were doing a show, and we heard, and we lost our minds. The place erupted where i mean we're on tape jumping on tables drinking partying and uh and a, and the next day i was at channel four doing a uh i was a guest analyst because i was on the radio guy at the time but i was a guest analyst and i can remember it i can remember the next day i saw jake godbold god rest his soul there and i remember the look on his face because he kind of started it all he the, the mayor at the time that kind of started it all how proud he was, and he was also a guest analyst. He wasn't the mayor at the time; he was a guest analyst at the time. So, but I can vividly remember that's the day our city grew up. Now, look, there's way more to a city than sports, and I get that, but that was the day it all sort of changed. 
that was the day everybody said, wow. We, I've always said this, and I'm born and raised here, and I've lived here my whole life other than a few years at, at college at Florida. I, and I mean, I even went to junior college here. So I was literally only gone two and a half years in Gainesville, graduated and came back, and I've been here ever since. So I'm as Jacksonville as it gets. But I can still will, will tell you that Jacksonville always had a bit of a self-esteem problem. We didn't have Mickey Mouse ears like they had in Orlando. We didn't have Miami Beach, which has become South Beach in Miami. Tampa was a was a was a, a blossoming city that was going to have a bunch of pro sports teams and Clearwater and all the St. Pete and, and the Great Bay Area. We weren't going to have that, and we were always kind of mocked. We smelled bad, and we didn't have anything, and we were looked at as South Georgia, and we looked at it as this redneck city. And I remember how that began to change that day. As corny as it sounds, that's the day it began to change. Thank you, Wayne Weaver. Thank you, Rick Catlett and David Selden and all the folks that made that possible. Because that's the day, I'm telling you, that's the day you could feel you got in your car, you drove around, you went to the mall, you went to the bars. Hayes, you could you could just feel it in the air that our city grew up that day. And, I, and I'm not embellishing. I'm not trying to anyway. and not, It's not intentional embellishment. I can assure you of that. It is how I felt. That you could feel that that was the day life changed, particularly for sports people, but really for everybody in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, and no one knew what the league was going to become. I mean, it was hugely popular, obviously, in the 90s, but it still wasn't unequivocally the greatest sports entity going in this country. And obviously now it is. I mean, if if you took an evaluation on what the Jaguars, any NFL franchise, would have been worth 30 years ago compared to today, it's it's astronomical. Well, it's the value to the city as well. And so, uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 absolutely staggering. I mean, you know, we had an identity. We we had a great college football game every year. We had a, a great bowl game every year. Uh, so certainly, college football wise, you know, people if you paid attention to college football, you knew about Jacksonville. I uh, you know we had the players, but that was still sort of in its you know, early development, I would say, in terms of being the tournament that it has grown into. And, uh, you know, and, and so it was, yeah, it was it was a huge piece. You know, the, the Bulls had been electric, and uh, the fan support for the Jacksonville Bulls had been so outstanding that uh, it, it proved that this, this market could work, and this market has worked. It's been phenomenal, particularly when you consider the stack, the winning percentage of the franchise over its lifetime uh, certainly doesn't stack up favorably, uh, and uh, it, it's it's incredible. And now they've reached a, a point where they've got a full first generation of fans that have grown up with the Jaguars their whole lives, and they now have disposable income, and uh, they're having you know children, and those children are, are it's it's now got a momentum that is only going to get bigger and stronger over this next 20 years because you're going to have a renovated stadium. You're going to have the greatest player that you've ever had in franchise history, in my, in my opinion, at the most important position, uh, is just starting his career. So as great as these 30 years have been in, in having an NFL team and having that as our identity – the next 30 are going to be just unbelievable. Yeah, we did. When we were doing our show in Detroit this year at training camp, Brian Sexton sat in with me, and nobody, nobody knows the history of the, of the organization better than Brian does. Brian's one of, I, may, I want to say, three, maybe three, three or four, if it's that many, original employees still there. 
at least Abbott is one. There's there's a handful. There's, skip, yeah, skip for sure. Uh, but there's there's a Brian knows that the history better than anybody, and he told me he said Frank, these are the glory. These this is the golden year. This is the golden era. I think the golden era is a phrase he used. The, the golden era of Jaguar football has begun, and it took thirty years to get here. So the Hazel point, but I can still remember the magic, the magic of knowing it was almost pinch yourself surreal. It was almost, is this really happening? I mean, is and, and I can tell you, I was there for the journey to it. I've told you guys many times in 1979 or 80, whenever it was, when Robert Ursay landed that helicopter at the middle of the Gator Bowl and 50,000 people. And by the way, I don't think there's a team here if that doesn't happen. I think that's what put us on the map, that he landed that helicopter before there had ever been the Jacksonville Bulls. He landed that helicopter in the middle of the field, and there were 50,000 people. I want you to think about that again. 50,000 people, no game, no concert. There was nothing there. 50,000 people came to watch this guy get out of his helicopter at midfield, walk around, wave to everybody, and then get back in the helicopter. Think, think about that for a second. And then we went home. 50,000 Think, I mean, it's remarkable. 50,000 people. And we all had a hot dog and a Coke. It was a good hot dog. And so, uh, and, and I remember me and some of my buddies, we said, okay, so we got back in the car. And we were actually staying at the beach. I think I've told this story. We we were staying with some friends at the beach. Our, our vacations, we didn't really get to travel a lot. So our vacations were, we'd rent these little little uh, hotel rooms at the beach. So we were staying at the beach. And I was like a, a junior in college. And my mom was there and some of our family friends. And we had two or three Rooms at the hotel, staying at the beach, drove in from the beach, went to the Gator Bowl, sat among 49,000 of my closest friends, sat there, watched Rob Ursay with his little sports coat get out. Place goes crazy. He waved everybody because we thought the Colts were coming, the Jacksonville Colts. He waved everybody. We waved back. He walked around the helicopter, maybe five minutes, got back in the helicopter, flew out. We went home. And I, but I, I can remember it so vividly. And that led to what would happen, you know, four years later or whatever it was. How much does the Gator Bowl and Florida Georgia being here at that point in time also help? It, no, there's no a bunch. The fact that Jacksonville was football crazy. Mm-hmm. That's what I think attracted Wayne Weaver. I think Ron Weaver, Wayne's brother, lived here at the time, if I'm not mistaken. But I think what this shoe magnate, what attracted him, Lauren, was we had. I mean, we had the Jacksonville Sharks in the Express. I think one they were 72 and 73. In the old World Football League, that was a cool, cool league. Ask your dad. None of you guys, neither of you, were alive. But ask your dad about the World Football League. They had a, they had like this yellow football with orange stripes. Do you ever hear tell of that? No. It was like a yellow football. Seriously, yellow football with orange stripes. And we had a, we had two teams: the Jacksonville Express one year, and then we had the or the, the the Sharks the first year, I think, and the Jacksonville Express the second year. I'll tell you a story about that too in a minute. But but the uh, and getting Bud Asher was the coach. I think he was a high school coach in New Smyrna Beach, and he came up here to coach the pro team. But we packed that. We packed for those games, and it was, so we, we were always. So to your question, Lauren, the fact that the Florida Georgia game was all about our heritage, but it wasn't necessarily people here that went. It was people from all over Florida and Georgia, Florida, Florida and Georgia fans. But, but the Gator Bowl, we always sold it out. It was always packed. I mean, we and and then the shark and the sharks and the express um, came, and uh, and. And then later the Bulls, of course, and after the, the Robert Ursay thing, the Bulls came in 84. We had these great crowds. And that's when Jacksonville was on the map as 
city that will really support football and beat out Birmingham. Yeah, and, and I don't know if this is something that played into the NFL's decision either, but in terms of football and, and the history of football in, in our city, the Lee Jackson game used to get 60000 in the Gator Bowl, a high school game. Yeah. the uh, Used to be played in the Gator Bowl. I want to say they played it on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day. At, that game was at 2 o'clock. I'll tell you the whole story. Englewood and Wolfson played at 10. Lee and Jackson played at 2. And back then, Gilbert and Stanton, which became Reigns and Rebolt, played at night. Three games, on, all on Thanksgiving Day. And, and it was and, packed. And it was packed. And it was absolutely packed. I can remember one time, uh, one of the worst decisions I ever made. Um, my Inglewood was playing Wolfson. I wasn't a football player. I think I was a sophomore maybe in school. So, you know, some of the baseball players were all going to the game. And I asked my dad, and I wouldn't have been. I take it back. I would have had to be in middle school. My dad was alive. So I had to be, maybe I was in middle school. I guess I was in middle school. Because my dad was, my dad drove me. And my dad died when I was in the ninth grade. So maybe I was in the seventh or eighth grade. But I wanted to go to the game. And my dad said, look, we can't go to, we can't go to that. And the next night, the very next night, FSU was playing Houston in the Gator Bowl to a packed house. My dad said, you got to pick one. And so uh, I said, well, I want to go. Let's go to both. My dad said, can't go to both. You know, we can't, we have, can't be buying tickets and, you know, we can't go to both. You got to pick one. So I wanted to go to the high school game. So I went to Inglewood Wolfson. I guess maybe I was in the seventh or eighth grade. And we went to the game. Great game, had a blast. All my buddies were there. The next night, FSU Houston played. I said, Dad, he said, no, nope, I told you, you got to make a decision. So, so, so none of us, my, my buddies didn't go either. But I remember thinking to myself, what's wrong with you? You could have gone to this great, this Florida State-Houston game. Houston was good back then. Mm-hmm. But for whatever, for whatever reason, I remember that. But, that. but, yeah, they used to pack that. But, but back to the Sharks and the Express, I'll tell you a great story about that. It, this was like, it was going to compete with the, it was going to compete with uh, the NFL. They really thought it was. And so, I mean, that was a league that I don't – I think Larry Zonk and those guys were the USFL, right? Weren't they? I think. I think so. But, but they, they anyway, had some players in this world football league. Well, what's a really interesting story about this, that, that fascinating, fascinating story to me, is they needed a radio broadcast. Yeah. So they had to find – no one knew how to do that. No one around here did radio. So they brought in Jay Solomon – who was the Miami Hurricanes play-by-play guy. And he moved to Jacksonville to call the Sharks and Express games. Only lasted a year or two. But Jay became the voice of JU Basketball and launched sports radio in Jacksonville. And if not for that, I don't know that you'd be listening to us right now. I've always said Jay Solomon is why we are all here. He taught us how to do sports radio. He taught us how to both sell. Make The reason you can have so many on-air people get paid is because as we the three of us know and as most of the people on the radio station know you sell your own advertising you, you, and not everybody does but for the most part that's kind of how that's how we're built is and i think people know that well jay solomon's one taught us all how to do it and, and and by the way we have a great wonderful sales staff that sells too i don't really sound like we're the only people so you get the point those of us on the air have to do some of the selling and and the point to the story is without jay solomon i don't know that we're doing this so it, it's funny how the whole football thing built so much of our sports landscape in Jacksonville. It's really a cool story. It is. And now I cannot imagine our city without the Jaguars. I mean, no, it is the right. lifeblood of of what we all love, all of us, right? Yeah. No matter who your college team is, everyone around here is a Jaguars fan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and that's right, by the way. There, there's no – used to be a Gator town. Mm-hmm. Now it's, there's still a lot of Gators in it, but it's sure. a Jaguars town. It's, 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 it's not. City. It's not even close to yeah. so, anyway, interesting. So, all right, I got a lot to talk about today on the program. We'll talk more about the portal, who's in, who's not. There's rumors everywhere about this guy and that guy. There's DJ, help me here. 
Uyunglele is in the uh, portal. Um, he just got to Oregon State, but now he's in the portal. Well, his Every, coach left, so I wonder yeah. if now he's well, like, well, I'm his, leaving Well, too. his coach left and his conference left. Right. So, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so they, they all left. So, uh, right. So, uh, but, he might well, have hitched himself to the wrong wagon. <laughs> yeah, so, is the... Is the beaver still there? Are they still <laughs> the beavers? <laughs> that may be the last thing they yeah. left. I don't know that. We'll have yeah. to check. So we'll talk a little bit about the portal. We'll talk about 30 years later with the Jaguars, high, high moments and low moments, and uh, are these the golden years, as Brian Sexton said on my program. And, uh, and I really believe they are and that he's right about that. We'll certainly talk about that. We've got a lot of things to get to. We'll do our picks today because Lauren won't be here tomorrow. We've got that coming up on the program. Greg Begarity stops by from the Gator Bowl. I'm going to make him tell us who's going to be in the game. All that coming up. We've got a lot to do. Uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Oh, it's an old Rock Thursday, too. This is uh, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. You're a rich girl. It's an old rock Thursday. Music, the way it should be, or at least used to be, on The Frangie Show. You can rely on the old man's money. It's a bitch girl, but it's gone too far because you know it don't matter anyway. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far. Let me be clear about one thing. (laughs) You're going to sue each other? You don't think you're going to follow a restraining order and then duck Old Rock Thursday, do you? No. I mean, there, there's some things that just follow suit. Yeah. Okay? Okay. Just, just, uh, just let me be clear about this. This might be what brings them back together. Yeah, I mean, let me just be clear about this. I don't, Lauren and Hayes, I don't know if either one of you guys can sing. Okay? That would be a big no. Okay. Well, but you've been on stage. Okay. I don't know if you guys can sing or not. But just so I'm very clear. If either one of you files a restraining order against the other, it's going to be on Old Rock Thursday. Okay, <laughs> just, just, just that—that's what we're doing. Okay, so uh, of course it's Hall and Oates today. Daryl Hall filed a restraining order against John Oates. Can, that's just—is he afraid? Is there, are they going to fight? What's it about? I mean, because John, I'm taking Oates in the fight. Yeah, I, I, here's the deal. I am too. I always take short and yeah, stocky yeah, over I tall and take, lanky. Fighters. I would take. I think Oates is tougher. I would take him if he can reach him. You got to right. reach. You got to be able to reach. Well, he'll reach something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what are we doing? They're fighting. Hollow Notes are having a fight. I mean, it's there's incredible. a restraining order. It really is amazing. I, I saw the story. I was blindsided by it uh, because it just. That's what Daryl Hall said. Yeah, right. <laughs> he it's was just, blindsided. Yeah, it's just, uh, well. you know, you just would have always thought Hall of Notes. Yeah, I mean, all well, what's to fight about? Yeah. You know, you guys have made a, you know, some, you know, music that people really love and you're now getting up there in years like, you know, why have the hate? Yeah, I mean, but but if you're going to file a restraining order, you're on you're on old rock. By the way, if they follow Can you imagine follow, being the judge when that comes in front <laughs> of you? you like, what? <laughs> yeah, I and uh listen, um, hey guys, we're going to settle this. I hope we hope we all agree. And can you do a few chords of Sarah Smile while you're here? <laughs> I mean, now we have you here and all. So, yeah. um, so, uh. so from what I'm reading, Daryl Hall filed court papers accusing partner John Oates of leaving him blindsided by secretly moving to sell half of their joint venture to Primary Wave. Well, what is it, Primary Wave? Well, and Oates wants to tour with their music. And you can't do that. Uh, he has to have Hall's permission. But I guess he was doing it anyway. And so that's where the lawsuit originated from. And in that lawsuit, Hall also put in a provision 
about the restraining order. Okay. So, uh, but it's 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 really, I mean, it's 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 rattled me to the core <laughs> because if Holland Oates can't get along, I mean, I have to question every friendship that I have. Oh, Primary a, wave is a music company. Really okay, funny. got it. Yeah, I oh. I feel for both of them. This is, I'm sure, traumatic. Yeah, and, and by the way, who doesn't love Hall and Oates? The, the whole world, yeah, the, would like, the, the least threatening band of yeah, all time, right. hates the, each other. The whole apparently. world would want to get Hall and Oates together. You guys yeah. got to solve this. I mean, right? Do you, I mean, I mean, you got to solve this. I mean, they, you know, Simon and Garfunkel had to fall out because Simon's great, but he could be a little snarky. He could be a little not Hall and Oates. Right. You want Hall Don't and all bands have a wedding. falling out, though? Like, at some point, every band. But not Hall and Oates. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like he said, he's rattled to the core, and I get it, and I respect that. <laughs> I'm deeply disturbed and troubled. <laughs> uh, Hall and Oates today on Old Rock Thursday. Uh, moments in these 30 years, football moments, but if you had to look at the 30 years since it's been announced, Give me a bunch of them. That, I got a bunch, but give me a bunch that come to mind off the top of your head. It can be anything. From a pure enjoyment, it was certainly the the magic run in the playoffs You know, early on when nothing was expected. They were, I think, double-digit underdogs in both the Buffalo and Denver game. And to see them be so good so early uh, was just magnificent. And, and, you know, again, most of their, most of their existence I've been – you know, in in the business of, of sports, you know, reporting or uh, uh, journalism, and and so it's it makes it harder to enjoy it. Uh, and so, but I did have those years before when I was in college, where I mean, it was awesome. And obviously, I still hope that they do well, but it's just different. You know, once you get into this business, it it, it changes kind of your perspective on things. So you kind of, I think, lose that euphoria that you would have had when you were a kid and you were just a total fan. Because there's no cheering in the press box. Correct. Yeah. And so uh, so for me it would be those, uh, you know, that, that magical playoff run and how great they were early on. And, you know, and then obviously the uh, devastating loss to the Titans, uh, you know, in 99. And, you know, and then that, I mean, to me. And then, then for about 10 years, I, I don't really have much of anything. Uh, and then I've, I've covered them for now 11, uh, and most of that's been – I mean, it's been <laughs> fun in terms of the job, but it's been not much to get overly fired up about. Um, but I think I think this year, I think the next two or three months, the next 100 days here, I think are going to be pretty magical. So my grandfather took me to my very first game when I was 13, Okay, and that was awesome. And then and that would have been what, what year? Give that would have been 95. Okay, first year. Yeah, first year. Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool. My grandfather and grandmother went to the Gator Bowl every year for okay. many, many, many sure. years. So diehard football fans. And then many years later in 2019, four years ago now, to have him honored as veteran of the game was just fantastic. And the Jaguars do such a good job with all of the military That's stuff. That's a cool connecting but point. But it's such a, yeah, like, wow, this has really come full circle. And the other moments, I would say probably 2007, making it to the playoffs that year. Uh, I was back here from college, had been back here for a few years then. And before I joined 1010XL, I would go as a fan. And it is, there's nothing better than tailgating with all your friends and going to the game. And now all my friends still have season tickets and now they bring their kids. And it it's amazing to see how much has changed, but also how much has kind of stayed the same. That you go to Lot J or you go to tailgaters, you go to the fairgrounds. 
and there's a ton of Jaguars fans, and they're cooking up food, and they're about to go cheer on their team. Many years, not not many things to cheer about, but now to have it where it is, it's just awesome. For me, uh, it would be, first of all, getting the team, mm-hmm. the the silver helmets. Remember the silver helmets? Mm-hmm. They never wore them. Remember they were going to have the silver helmets and the silver pants and the teal jerseys? Remember all the talk? Silver and silver? I, I thought, I, by the way, I thought it was a cool-looking uniform. And uh, the, fir- the, the first 11, I know the primetime gang was talking about that, Dexter McNabb, Shannon Baker, um, Greg Huntington. I, I'm, uh, I don't remember all. Jason Simmons. I don't remember all of them. You remember the, the first Jordan. One? Randy Jordan. Uh, Dexter McNabb. Collins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't remember all of them. But, yeah. But, but, but yeah, that, that group, uh, the, there's really a team – Watching in 1994, watching Florida, Georgia in Gainesville with Tom Coughlin sitting next to him as he's watching Eric Zier, uh, Stevens Point, the first. You thought camp. the Jaguars were going to draft it? I did. I did. did I tell the story on the air or no, off the air? I told. I'll, the I'll tell you the story on the air that I told that I was going to tell Tom yesterday, but we were in a hurry. I can. He would scout all these games. Well, I was at the Florida Georgia game in Gainesville in '94. Remember the two years they played in Gainesville and in Athens. The Gainesville one, Florida blew them out both years. But Eric Zier was showing her all over the place in '94, even though Florida was routing him. And I'm watching, I'm sitting with Tom Coughlin as he's scouting Eric Zier. And he's going, Frank, watch him, watch him. Look at it. He identifies the mic. Watch his, watch his head position. Watch his, watch the walk him out of his hand. I was convinced the Jags were drafting Eric Zier. I was convinced Eric Zier was going to be the Jaguar quarterback because I watched how intently Tom Coughlin watched him. Now, unbeknownst to me, every week he was doing that with some other quarterback. I, you know, so I, um, but, but at the time, I'm just watching him watch Eric Zier, and I'm and I that was really cool. Stevens Point, we all were up there. This little, this quaint little town, not far from Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, where we all went to cover training camp. I did live shows from up there. Steve Berline sat in with me a bunch. It was it was really fun. I mean, I can remember doing live shows from Stevens Point. I think some of some of the best things we do with these road shows, and doing live shows from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, was the coolest thing ever. And um and being there, kind of with the team, that stood out to me. The Morton Miss. I think the Morton. I mean, mm-hmm. the, by the way, the first year I remember covering them in Memphis. You know, they played in Memphis. They played in Memphis. The when the Oilers left Houston to go to Nashville, they stopped by Memphis for a year. Do you know that mm-hmm. they played in the Liberty Bowl? And I remember covering the game of the Liberty Bowl, but I remember covering them on the road. I remember being in Canton when they played in the very first Hall of Fame game. Uh, we did. We went. We Terry Norvell and I did live shows from there. We went right from the SEC Media Days in Birmingham to Canton. I, that's that really stands out for me in the early years, the Morton Miss being on the field for the Morton Miss, to Hayes's point, the the run in the end of the nineties when they were really good, like really really good, um, that stands out for me. Um, after that, oh seven a little bit, but then seventeen because I, by Absolutely. then I'm calling the games. Yeah, and seventeen was a magical 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 season coming and out the on the first field. home playoff game in so long, and then going out on the field after the Steelers win and the whole the city with a lot of people there waiting on the team that was really cool. Um, that stood out for me, and then of course the, the last year this year. So, but I, but I would say of all those thirty years, the the magical moment of knowing you were getting the team that day thirty years ago today, thirty years ago today, being at that sports bar in Mandarin. Watching the people, they couldn't even believe it. We had an NFL team, an NFL team was coming to Jacksonville. It just—it was just the craziest thing you've ever seen, and you couldn't believe it. And so, that that moment still might be, gosh, is until until we actually get to a Super Bowl, that still might be the moment that trumps them all. Is finding out that our city, where people like the three of us were born and raised, was getting an NFL team. It was just so incredibly surreal. You couldn't believe it. 
I would say drafting Trevor is yeah. also really high up there. Yeah. Knowing I mean, that you're many years of prosperity yeah. is coming your way because you have that guy. Good call. Good call. Yeah, I think so, too. So pretty amazing stuff. So anyway, uh, 30 years ago today, uh, wherever you were, if you were around, uh, celebrate that moment uh, uh, for a moment or two today because it was a special moment. We come back. Greg McGarity joins us from the Gator Bowl, our Gator Bowl college football update. We'll find out, get a pretty good idea, I hope, of who's coming to the game. That's next. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. The College Football Report is presented each week by the Gator Bowl with Executive Director Greg McGarity. Here's Greg with the Frangie Show crew. Greg McGarity with us today. Old Rock Thursday, Hall and Oates style. Did you know that Hall has a restraining order against Oates? That's what I've heard. What in the world? They're hauling oats for God's sake. You can't have that. You can sue yeah. anybody at any time. I guess you can. <laughs> so, so Carline, that that earned them. It, even though it's rattled you, it's earned them an Old Rock Thursday appearance. Well, my hope is for harmony. <laughs> and th- that and this, this will, will this will cause it. This will unite hauling o- uh, oats. Hall, Hall and oats. World, world tour. Who in doesn't love hauling oats? Hauling oats today on Old Rock Thursday. Uh, all right, do we have a game yet? Do we know? It's getting uh, closer to knowing. Okay. We've, we've got several teams uh, in contention on both sides, so it just really depends on what happens this weekend. Okay, who's who's in play and what and how does this weekend affect it? Well, who's in play is on the ACC side. It's probably North Carolina, North Ca- Carolina State, and Clemson. Wow, that's three good ones. Right. And okay. on the SEC side, it looks like it's going to be LSU, Tennessee, or Kentucky. That's three good ones. So that's that's kind of the six okay. that will be in play one way or another, and uh, so wow, I don't think that's we pretty can go good. Wrong. That's pretty good. Yep. So so yep. so are you, Greg? Are you pretty confident it'll be two of those six? Are you pretty yes. confident that's yes. where you're, you're yes. going to land? Yes. Given on yes. everything, okay. Yep. All right. So this week, what? How does this weekend affect it? You know, it's really weird because we thought of so many different ways uh, for uh, the SEC to potentially have four teams up. Right. I mean, Ole Miss is right on the cut line right now, and if if Ole Miss finds a way to move in the top top twelve New Year's Day bowl game and New Year Six, then that takes away an SEC team from our pool. Okay. So the only way I think that could happen is for Texas to lose. Okay. Or for Florida State to win and not finish in the top four. Okay. Well, the second thing's not going to happen. If FSU wins, they'll be in. I would think so. And I don't think Oklahoma State, who just lost to UCF, can beat Texas. Uh, uh, but it's still a possibility. It is. <laughs> but if neither one of those things happen, you just gave us the six. Yes. Okay. Yes. Any idea which of the six? I'm a reporter. That's what I'm supposed to ask. No, I think I think Kentucky would be a long shot. I think Clemson would be a long shot because North Carolina and North Carolina State have been to San Diego the last two years. Okay. So, so, so Clemson more of a long shot, Kentucky more of a long shot. Yep. So the likelihood, not for sure, is North Carolina State, North Carolina versus LSU, Tennessee. Some form or fashion, yeah. Sign me up. Sign me up for Jaden Daniels, Drake May, Caroline. Absolutely. So what becomes of Louisville if FSU convincingly beats them? Would they stay in the New Year's Six? Because they're not in it. If Florida State, what's that scenario? Let's say Florida State wins 38-10 to over Louisville. Then they're up top. They're top four. Then Louisville goes away and becomes a, a team in our pool. Right. Okay. And with 10 wins, they're guaranteed a spot in our game. But because of the other teams that are in the mix, specifically North Carolina State and North Carolina, who can't go to San Diego, 
it's kind of like we back into one of those two teams, North Carolina or NC State. Okay. So well, NC State would be – that's so, a nine-win team yeah, that's in the top 20. Yeah, and they're hot right And now. North Carolina, obviously, with you know, Drake May. and yeah. yeah. Also, because North Carolina and North Carolina State are closer than Louisville, if they were all together too, would proximity help? Absolutely. It's one of the, it's one of the eight points that the ACC has in the contracts that deal with who goes where. Okay. Yes. Do you have Gator Bowl people going to the ACC championship? Yes. Uh, Alex McGarity will be at the ACC championship game, and Alan Worley, our, our chairman, will be at the game in Atlanta. And I'll be watching all the games on TV and getting into the office early on Sunday morning. How about that? So when will you know? Well, I think you'll know a little bit more. Well, I think ours is pretty well set. Okay. But I think everything else starts to fall Friday night. And if, if Washington wins, then you know they're going to take one of the top four. Right. If right. they lose, here we go. Yeah, So okay. uh, I think a lot of things can, can happen once you start – once the dominoes start to fall on the unpredictable. So what happens when f- Sunday afternoon comes and you know your game? Uh, press conference at the school, you bring the coaches here. Take me through the – take me through then. Yeah, we have phone calls like at 245 Sunday afternoon okay. with each conference office. And they'll basically tell us who they're providing, and and you kind of know in advance a little right. bit. You have some say, though, right? Well, we have we can express our opinion. Okay. Uh, but the, for instance, the ACC is so prescriptive, and the ACC uh, the SEC is not prescriptive. They're just looking at matchups, right? And drivability and location and things like preventing matchups that right. happened last year or. Uh, matchups that might happen next year, even right. though that's not a, a, a disqualifying factor there. So we'll know 245-ish per, for sure, and then the announcements will come 3, 330. But from the ACC, they're not going to say, okay, Greg, you got your choice, NC State or North Carolina. They're going to say, here's who we're giving you. Right, because it'll all be worked out with, oh. with the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Because they'll kind of have the first pick. It's a long story, but they'll have their first pick since we're in a different rotation within a six-year contract, getting in the weeds yeah, here. But they, they would yeah, have a preference, and they'd probably take a nine-win team over an eight-win team. Yeah, I was going to say, because if it's NC State LSU, that's 18 combined victories. That's got to be close to about as – I mean, that's got to be almost, I would think, a record. Yeah, because, well, I mean, you're yeah. 20 years ago they were only playing 11 games. Yeah. So, I mean, to get two schools potentially – that each won nine games, I would think, would be thrilling. Yeah, I think the great thing is we can't go wrong. Yeah. So we're dodging some teams that we wanted to dodge because mm-hmm. of fan, fan lack of fan participation. But I think we're in shape to where we're going to have some big brands here, which is uh, uh, would be wonderful. Texas A&M no longer has Jimbo Fisher as the head coach. Does that mean that the Gator Bowl will take Texas A&M back, or does it less matter about the head coach? Well, I think it makes a difference. Uh, because I think now you may see where the athletic director is maybe more or less in charge. I think Jimbo kind of ran the ship. Yeah, yeah. And Ross might not have been in the been in the, the director's chair, so right. to speak. But now I think since they've got a coach that's more of a team player uh, and the kind of person that, that Coach Elko is, who we met up in Duke just three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, uh, they've got, got a quality person leading their program, and I think it puts a different slant on it. All right, so we know as we wrap the Gator Bowl selection process, we have a pretty good idea of the six teams. Mm-hmm. North Carolina, North Carolina State, Clemson will play some combination of LSU, Kentucky, or Tennessee. But your guess is it's not likely Kentucky or Clemson. Correct. It could be, but your Odd guess is. Odd things would have to happen. Yeah. yeah, so your guess is it's really 
it's two of the four teams, right. the two I, North Carolina so, schools at this and, time. and LSU in town, which, I, again, I think those are – those are really good yep. games. Those Absolutely. are really, really uh, on all fronts. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna land on your feet again, yep. which is good. Absolutely. Uh, take that hat off. Put your AD hat on. Okay. What do you do if you're Scott Strickland? So you got everybody in the world. No, that's not true. You got a percentage of the fan base that always wants to move on. You look like you're not a good coach, so I want somebody new. Um, you're committed to your guy. I mean, you've 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 lived this, Greg. You've mm-hmm. you've been in this job. Um, what do you say to what do you say to angry booster who says let's move on? What do you say to your coach who you maybe you might think needs to make a change or two? How do you manage all this? Well, I think it's it's part of the tough job uh of sitting in that chair. And it all depends on what kind of relationship you have with your head coach. Right. If you're able to be frank, honest, if you have uh constructive criticism back and forth, questions that you would ask just as a fan, right. but you're understanding there's a lot of risk there, their financial risk, their future risk. But what is the plan? And basically having a level of confidence that you have in individuals with the assistant coaches. I know a couple have left. I would sort of be asking questions about what went wrong. Was it poor evaluation? Was it performance? What what drove that? Uh, but also with the young people, what's the tone of the field? Because you have you can have exit interviews at the end of the season with these young men. And you would normally do that to where you bring young people in and you evaluate, you know, what goes on in a very sort of disarming environment. But you're trying to not go behind a coach's back. That's probably the worst thing you could do. You'd be up front that, you know, we're going to talk to some kids as part of an exit interview every year that you do. And you find out maybe some things that are going on. And uh, hopefully you're not surprised by anything. But you really have to – you got to suck it up, and you've got to be – if he's your guy, he's your guy. And you can't be – No matter you know, what Booster Guy says. Absolutely. Because uh, that happens, right? Booster Guy calls, It right? can happen in some situations. The good thing is it never happened at Florida when Jeremy was there. Right. Oh, I boosters that. were not a part of that yeah. decisions either way because Boosters, you know, if, if, they, if they impact a hire and you have to make a change, they're gone. Right. They're not with you. So that's why everything weighs on your shoulders – and then you've got financial responsibilities, too, to keep in mind. Because if you let someone go, you know, then the, then someone may be questioning your ability to evaluate right. coaches and talent. If you were on the playoff committee, I, what would be kind of how you would view Florida State without Jordan Travis? You know, I've, I've heard, uh, heard Herbstreet talk yesterday about uh, having talks with Bill Hancock and the charge of the committee is to have the four best teams. It's not to do what is right. That worries me a little bit about why I've, I've never heard that before because that probably was not the case with Texas Christian last year. So I don't know if the metrics have changed anything. You've got more teams. You got you know if four. I'm, I'm sure the committee's hoping all these four teams win Saturday and Friday night so that their work is is done. Then they've just got to worry about five through twelve, but uh, I don't know. It's a different group every year. It's kind of like the the it used to be trying to pick teams that were in the NCAA basketball championship. Is it strength of schedule? Is it your last ten wins? Who didn't play in certain games? But obviously, it has affected their ability to be successful. Perhaps I mean Ohio State had a freshman quarterback this year, so I just think it's whatever that group decides to. The, to be the most important thing in the room when they talk about that. 
But in your opinion, if Florida State wins, yeah, well, if you were in the committee, what would you? What would yeah, a thirteen and zero Florida State. It'd be very difficult to keep them out. Correct. Yeah. There would have voting. to be some right. kind of reason, and right. the only anti would be against that is if just for the eye test, if they want, how would Florida State do against Texas, Alabama, Georgia? Who, who would probably right. win that game on the eye test? That's the only thing that could enter, which would have never happened if Travis hadn't got hurt. Are you confident in Georgia going up against Alabama Saturday? No. I think that that's a uh, – there should be no points in that game. Uh, I think that the way uh, you've got probably the two premier coaches in college football going against each other, and it's going to come down to who fumbles or throws a pick, doesn't execute. I mean, Georgia last year was fortunate because Ohio State missed a field goal. I mean, that's how close it is in these situations. So it's going to come down to – probably a handful of plays that determine who's going to win that game. I want to go back to Hayes' question, okay, because you said it, it could come into – what could factor in is how, how well do you, the committee might think or a committee member voting might think FSU would do against Georgia or Michigan. Because if they get in, they'll be the fourth seed, you would imagine. I think FSU would get hammered by Georgia or Michigan without Jordan Travis. I, I think that game's 35-7. But that should have, in my opinion, should have no bearing. If you if you're thirteen and zero, you why play the season if thirteen and zero in the ACC doesn't get you into the four? So if I'm a voter, that's an easy decision for me. But I don't. But but back to your other point, I think I think it, without Jordan Travis, they'd get hammered by any of those teams, just like Michigan without their quarterback or whoever. So so so, how, do you agree with me? Well, it's it's. It's like Herb Street said. It's not to do the right thing. Yeah. It's to put the four best teams in the playoffs. So, so you might not. So you might not vote FSU in if it was you. I'd, you know, I'd be in that room looking at all their metrics as yeah. what they're doing. I mean, yeah. they've got okay. That's honest analytics, but they always say the eye test comes into play, and that's the only thing that worries me a little bit. Yeah. They didn't say that last year. Well, if the eye test comes into play and it's the four best teams, there's a chance they're not in. And but but I again I just think I mean that so is, much of it is Saturday's game. Yeah, yeah. Do they win nine to six? Absolutely. Right. Which and then yeah. you're looking yeah. at it like you yeah. know they won, but boy Louisville's not very good, and this is nine to. I mean, obviously, if they win thirty eight to twenty, yeah. then I think voters are going to feel much more secure yeah. about the the team FSU has beyond right. Jordan Travis. Yeah. And I get all that, Greg. I just, for me, just my opinion. I think it's hard to go thirteen and zero. Those kids may never have an experience like that again in their life. Jared Verse comes back mm-hmm. and doesn't get to go because his quarterback got hurt that he had nothing to do with. Boy, I just think that'd be a crime. And well, and, and by the way, I'd say the same thing if it was Oklahoma State. It's right, not just right, a, right. a local team. I just that's just my opinion yeah. that it would be a crime. And I know TCU got worked last year, but they did win one game. You know, so yeah. I, I just for me, just my personal opinion it has nothing to do with it being the Knowles. Right. It, right. It's just I just I think that would be. A, and it's the last year we have to worry about it. Yep. I don't care about right. Team Thirteen not getting in next year. Right. right. But but. This year, I think I think it'd be a crime. I think it'd be an awful yeah. thing if a thir- any thirteen and O team in one of those four leagues didn't get in. And I'm not trying to put too much yeah no I credit think you're for right. Street, but I mean he made that very point. It may not be to do the right the, the right thing yeah. is to put an undefeated conference champion in the top. But four. he thinks the challenge is not to do the right thing. The challenge is to do not the wrong thing, but the challenge is to have the four. But the, 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 the best tournament. Yeah. Yeah, the best yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll have you next week one last time. You'll talk about the, the two teams you have coming in. We'll talk right. about press conferences and all the plan, and we look forward to it. Great thanks, 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 guys. Uh, back in a moment, 1010 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL.
Hit back with Hastings. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. It's an old rock Thursday. Music the way it should be, or at least used to be, on the Frangie Show. Old Rock Thursday's Hall and Oates because they're suing each other. Rick Blue joins us. Blue, how can Hall and Oates, Hall and Oates can't sue each other, can they, Blue? How can that happen? I don't know, but I almost sued them when they mailed it in spring break '87. <laughs> it was Daytona Beach. It was one of the. It was a free concert, and I still wanted to attack them. It was so bad. You, you, you could tell they were there for the paycheck, and you know, the, no encores, none of that. You, I mean, they're playing in front of girls in spring bikinis, and yeah, I, I, hey, let's uh, you know, uh, and, and muscular men all over the place, but. Uh, yeah, that was kind of disappointing when I saw them. Right, I that was it. the start of the riff because they heard you complaining. <laughs> <laughs> they fought backstage. Uh, all right, Rick, let's let's get to the old. I will tell you this. I just said this to Greg McGarity. I think if without Jordan Travis, I think if Florida State drew Georgia or Michigan, I think they're going to get hammered. I just didn't think they're the same team without Jordan Travis. Heck, they were behind, they trailed Florida in the fourth quarter. But what a shame if you go 13-0 and 0 and don't get a chance to play in the tournament because someone thinks you're not as good anymore. I, I, that would be, a, that would be a, the travesty of all travesties, I think. If you, I mean, what's the point of even playing the season if you win them all and don't get to play in the tournament? I, 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 what do you think is going to happen there? They're, they're, they're in no matter what if they win the game, don't you think? I do. I, I think they get in. I mean, it's never happened before where you've gone undefeated as a Power 5 team and you've been left out of the college football playoff. But it also is the perfect excuse to say, hey, we're going from four teams to 12, and here's why Alabama knocked off Georgia. Two SEC teams are in. Florida State lost their starting quarterback. They get left behind at number five. So th- that opportunity is there, and it could present itself. Georgia and Alabama still have more street cred than anyone else in college football. You're not going to hear that if Michigan loses. I think they're out. They're a 24-point favorite. Uh, the winner of this rematch between Oregon and Washington, the loser's out. But Alabama, I mean, look at Nick Saban a year ago. He made a big deal. He said if we played in it, we would have been favored in three of the four. You know, we would have been favored uh, against, uh, you know, three of the four teams who actually did make it into the college football playoffs. So it's a really sticky situation. For Florida State, I happen to believe that if they do win, they will still get in. But if Alabama pulls off this upset, I think Florida State has to win, and it looks impressive. I I, I don't know if a last second field goal and a you know a twenty five twenty four victory would be enough. What concerns you about Louisville? They run the ball. I mean, they're a terrible passing football team, and they don't do a good job against the run, but they're they're solid in the ditch. They got two running backs that are really good. Florida State allows 140 yards a game on the ground. Uh, FSU's pass defense is amazing. They they've actually had more incompletions against them this year than they've allowed completions. And they've only allowed six touchdown passes in twelve games. I mean they went six games this year where they didn't allow one touchdown pass. So their secondary is really good. They really came to life uh, getting to the quarterback last Saturday with six sacks, and it was kind of the coming-out party for Jared Burris and and Patrick Payton. So I I really like Florida State's chances against the run here, but I think it's pretty simple for Louisville. Can they slow things down and establish the run against Florida State? 
if that's the case, Louisville has a chance here for the upset. Rick, how do you like Mike Norvell versus Jeff Brom as far as the coaching aspect is concerned? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a couple of different teams. I, I think, again, even with Tate Rodemaker there, Florida State would like to be able to throw the football downfield. I thought the offensive line uh, came along and played better football in the second half. You know, Jack Plummer is a, a seasoned veteran, but he's a guy who does turn the ball over as well. So, you know, that's something that, that Florida State has really not been involved with this year. We talk about the Jaguars, who were tied for second with 20 takeaways. I want to say Florida State only has five turnovers on the year. And on the flip side, they do not have a lot of takeaways. So that could be a major difference in this football game, uh, that particular statistic. I I, I think what you'll see here with Braum is, uh, again, trying to get things done and, and kind of slow things down a little bit. They don't want to get in a fast paced game. They did against Kentucky and what looked like would be a pretty comfortable win for Louisville. They ended up giving up 31 points for the second half to the Wildcats. Rick, this is a better question for when it's all over, and I'll ask you, ask you that again then. I mean, when whenever Florida State season ends, whether it's, whether it's after the bowl game or after a playoff appearance or whatever. But how much has this season, in your opinion, moved Florida State back to being Florida State? You know what I mean? Because they're going to lose a lot of guys because they had a lot of tra- portal guys that all came back this year. So it's not a rebuild, but it is a reload for Mike Norvell. How close is FSU back to being – one of the elite dominant programs in the country, based in large part because of what happened this season? Well, you're right. They're losing so many key guys. I mean, yeah. they're going to lose seven defensive starters, and they're going to lose their playmakers on offense. And, you know, this is another big test for Tate Rodemaker. He gets this plus the postseason to try to figure out if, in fact, he is going to be the quarterback of the future. What, what, what I think is missing just a little bit is just how solid they have been this year uh, when it comes to coaching, and yeah. and that's what makes this Florida State team so likable, is that you look at blue chips, four stars, five stars, they don't have nearly as many as Miami or Florida. Uh, they've really coached these kids well this year, and they've done it primarily with transfer portal kids and three stars. Florida State's off to a phenomenal recruiting class coming up here in the latter part of December. So we're going to get a much better understanding Mike Norvell bringing in more talented kids. He's done a really good job coaching the kids he was given. So I think you look at it that way, Florida State now is going to bring in better talent, and if they can hang on to this coaching staff, uh, particularly a guy like Alex Atkins or a guy like Randy Shannon who could get snatched up, um, that's going to be real interesting moving forward with this team. Trey Benson, how big of a factor it, can he be Saturday, and, and what's your, your expectation for him from a, a number standpoint? I think he's the biggest factor on the team. You know, I, I, I think when he wants to go, he is so solid, and it took him a while to get things going against Florida, uh, as we saw. But then he ended up hitting a couple of home runs, and, you know, even short yardage has, has been a concern uh, for Florida State this year, and, and Benson was able to, to get it going there. So I like the fact that they continuously gave him the football, even when he was getting bunched up early against the Gators. Same deal here against Louisville. He's going to have to have a game that is an NFL-type game, and if so, you know, Trey Benson could end up being the difference between a win or a loss for Florida State. Rick, as far as looking ahead, who do you think will be the quarterback for next year? You know, I, I, 
right now, I I wouldn't bet on anyone. I think they really like Brock Glenn. I think they feel that he's the one that that does have the most talent. Um, Kate Rodemaker uh, is is serviceable. Did some nice things. Uh, I think we would like to see a little bit more out of him. And then that kid out of Savannah, uh, they absolutely love him. Will be coming in as a as a freshman. And then on top of that, um, you know, I, I think Florida State will absolutely be involved in the transfer portal if Rodemaker does not play well Saturday night or does not play well in the playoffs. I think that that is still a real possibility for FSU. So right now it's real. I mean, it's, it's impossible to guess until we see what happens, you know, starting again on Saturday night. Final question. Um, when we get to that offseason, Will FSU be super involved in the portal for the long haul, or was that a stopgap for Mike Norvell until – because they're having a really good recruiting year, like a high school recruiting year. Will that be a stopgap and it'll be more like Clemson and, and, and or Georgia and Alabama do it, or will they always be active in the portal the way they've been the last couple of years, in your opinion? I, I think it's going to be just as it's been the last couple of years. Uh, Florida State's made a lot of money from their boosters. Uh, the Battles End campaign is 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 really working. You've got premier positions that need an upgrade, especially on the defensive line. Okay, you're going to return Farmer and Peyton if Peyton decides to stay in school. You're going to need an edge. You're going to need interior defensive linemen. You're going to need some offensive linemen. You're going to need a wide receiver. You're going to need a tight end. So I will not be surprised at all, even with this phenomenal recruiting class, uh, a bunch of guys on the bottom of the – other pile here for Florida State are going to leave. They're going to transfer to other schools. So, you know, I would not be surprised at all if you see somewhere in the neighborhood of, of seven to ten transfer portal players coming over to join Florida State after signing that. Rick Blue talking FSU football with us. Rick, thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Hey, quick note. Tonight, six to eight, uh, Monkey's Uncle out okay. at the beach, Miller Light Party. Got two tickets for Monday night's game. Ooh. Jim Brando in the first hour, and right now I'm walking into the Jaguars locker room, so I'll have the very latest from the Jaguar players. That's tonight, 6 days. All right, and Monkey's Uncle, thanks, Rick. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I love That's the house that Brooks built. That's kind of your home. <laughs> You're the mayor. Aren't you the mayor there? <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but we are yeah. very close by. There you go. So uh, you may bump into Lauren Brooks. You never know. We'll take a break. When we come back, our picks are next. Can anybody catch Carlion? No. I'm just kidding, actually. Someone can. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Now, the Otterson Wealth Advisors Risk-Reward Picks of the Week. Otterson Wealth Advisors, your goals, our expertise. Hit it. Live from Evanston. (laughs) Illinois. Bless you. Thank you. Once again, it's the <laughs> Rutgers Scarlet Knight. <laughs> kind of a go-to. Yeah, kind of a CBS staple <laughs> at 3.30. Rutgers. Uh, How about the Northwestern guy? What a job he did. He won seven games, right? Or six games? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, the, uh, and uh, that's the day they beat Illinois. Exactly what right. happens with Pat Fitzgerald? Uh, he, al- he almost feels untouchable, which, which I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. We'll see. Good question, though. All right, let's get right to it. The records look like this. Hayes Carline, uh, he's holding off it. Just a two-man race, I would think. 51 and 27, 65 total points. RJ hanging around, 48, 30, 59 total points. Can you make up six? 
Uh, I'm at 42, 36, uh, 53 total points. I kind of threw some Hail Marys last week. <laughs> Lauren is 38 and 40. Uh, she's got 49 total points. She's Lauren just, is a disaster. <laughs> Lauren is throwing Hail Marys. She's just not very good. So, so 65, 59, 53, 49. Those are our records. Hayes is 94 in money balls. RJ and I are 8 and 5. Lauren 7 and 6. Game picker uppers. Hayes has 5. Lauren 4. Me 3. RJ 3. Last week, Hayes 5 and 1, 6 points. RJ 5 and 1, 6 points. 3 and 3 for me. 3.2 and 4, 3 points for Lauren. Here we go. Hayes picks first on every game. It's the SEC Championship game, Georgia and Alabama. Hayes Carlion from the Bowl School. Give me Georgia. I just think uh, too much defense. Carson Beck's going to make the plays in the fourth quarter he needs to make. Give me the dogs. Yeah, I've thrown too many Hail Marys. I'll come right with you. RJ. Give me Georgia. And Lauren Brooks. Why not? Well, Lauren? I mean, at this point, Why I'm going to root for Alabama anyway, so I may as well take the Crimson Tide. Look, I... I do think this is a good game picker upper. Jalen Milrow and company, I, I mean, if he runs the ball well against the dogs, that that's a possibility. Nick Saban knows what to do. We'll see. Florida State, Louisville. Hayes Carline. I, I was really impressed with the Knowles last week, seeing them in person and then being in their media after the game. Uh, they're an incredibly close team. I think that's going to carry the day. I think they win the ACC title over Louisville close, but the Knowles will find a way to get it done. Lauren Brooks. If Louisville had been able to beat Kentucky, I'd probably take them in this game. But because they couldn't, I'm taking the Knowles. R.J. Saunders. FSU. Well, heck, at that point, why not? Absolutely. Louisville for me. I'll take them in the upset. Hayes Carline, Oregon and Washington. That's a good one. It is a really good one. Uh, But Washington has been probably not playing their best uh, like we've seen the last few weeks. And uh, Oregon has just been phenomenal. I mean, for all the criticism I've given Bo Nix, his numbers this year are fantastic. Uh, Bo Nix gets the win. Bo Nix may get the Heisman as well. I think the Ducks win the league. RJ. Oregon. I'll take him too. Lauren? Oh man, I'm so far behind already. I should do it, but I just don't think they're going to. So give it me Oregon as well. Oregon as well. NFL music, please. Gardner Minshew in the Colts. Will Levis in the Titans in Music City. He's from the Moss Point Grill. Ace Carline. Yeah, I know Jonathan Taylor, and that's a concern, but I like how Zach Moss played earlier in the year. I like the steadiness of Minshew. I'll take the Colts here. I'll go the other way. I'll take the Titans at home. R.J. Saunders. Give me Indy. Lauren Brooks. You have a game picker-upper, sir. I cannot believe that the Indianapolis Colts are 6-5. and five. I mean, and losing Anthony Richardson. I never thought they would get to this many wins. But, yeah, Minshew has been fine. 49ers at the Eagles. Hayes Carlin, Eagles have the best record in the league and are at home. They do, and the 49ers, I think, have the best team in the league. But for some reason, I'm going to take the upset here, and I'm going to take the Eagles, even though they're the underdog. Lauren? I'm going to go the other way. I, I guess because of – what we saw here in Jacksonville with the 49ers. I think they are so incredibly talented, and the Eagles have been squeaking by. I'm taking the 49ers as well. RJ. And a fly like an eagle. Give me Philly. Well, that's good. At least Hayes right. didn't have a game picker up or with R- RJ, clearly you're trying hard to catch Hayes. There's no question about that. <laughs> RJ, you know how it works, right? Listen, listen. I, I, we let it simmer. We let it brew. Okay. Then we come for the punch. I guess. I guess. Okay. He's actually, <laughs> I just make sure you know how the rules work. You know, The rules are... You go. hang around, okay? okay yeah, yeah. RJ, yeah. I think you're making excellent. Picks. Okay, I guess. 
Watch, it's going to be like a game yeah. of battleship. I mean, he's going to say B3. RJ's won, okay, okay. won 14 games in yeah. the last three I, weeks I just combined. Sure yeah. RJ knows the so he is, uh, I just didn't he is see, sizzling hot right now. I just want to see if we need a rules clarification, but we're good. And the Bengals at the Jags, the Moneyball, Hayes Carline. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk, uh, but I think the Jaguars are going to win the game. Uh, I think ultimately Trevor and the offense is uh, is going to find its way, and I think Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are going to make uh, some great plays on Browning, and I think they'll hold Mixon down. So I don't like the Jaguars by, like, 20 or anything, but I do like the Jaguars to win the game. Lauren Brooks? Yeah, I'm with Hayes. I don't think it's people leaving in the fourth quarter because it's, it's a blowout. But I do think it will be a good day for the pass rush, and maybe no ETN. We'll see on that as the week goes by. But I, I still think Dearness Johnson's been playing well, and, and I think Trevor Lawrence has another big game. RJ Saunders. Give me the Jags. Okay, I will take the Jags, too, in the money ball. So there you go. I am going to make a prediction. Hayes had a six-point lead over RJ going into this week. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to predict it holds. I'm going to guess six points again. Your thoughts? I feel good that it'll hold. I think it's going to hold. Yeah, I think it's going to hold. But I mean, again, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to question his methods when he's won fourteen games in the last three weeks. So R.J. Saunders obviously fired his people. Yeah, hired yeah, really good right, people, right. and he's letting those people work. And I Inside commend him for trade, his efforts. So why is Hayes smirking, Lauren, when he says this? That's what I, I want to. Why is the smirking play? Because he wants to wear the he wants crown. To win a championship. Yeah, he's, uh, he's which is about... winning the championship, right, here... and he knows that he's inched a little bit closer. Uh, Georgia and Alabama. R.J. Hayes and I like Georgia. Lauren picked Alabama for the uh, game picker upper. Uh, Louisville, FSU. R.J. Hayes and Lauren have FSU. I got Louisville for the game picker upper. We all have we all have Oregon over Washington. Colts and Titans. I've got Titans in the game picker upper. The rest of you like the Colts. The Eagles were split down the middle. R.J. and Hayes have the Eagles. Lauren and I have the 49ers on the road. And we all like the Jags in the money ball. One more time, the standings look like this. 65 total points for Hayes, 59 for R.J., 53 for me, 49 for Lauren. Uh, best of luck to everybody but Hayes. So there we go. So, there's, so, so there is that. <laughs> well, if you're going, if you don't want Hayes to do well, then you also don't want R.J. to do well yeah, this well, week. Well, okay, best of luck for everybody but Hayes <laughs> and R.J. Well said. Um, the uh, – all the talk and chatter about Florida, who's coming at Here's the bottom line. They've lost a bunch of backups. Ty, the one receiver. I don't even know that, that means nothing. Bowman, Losing that yeah, guy. Mean, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, he, talk about a guy. Yeah. He, watch where he lands. Yeah, Will, Will Norman didn't get on the field much. That one bothers me a little. Caleb Douglas bothers me a little. Uh, a bunch of other backups, downtown Max Brown, others didn't bother me quite as much. <laughs> the, the smoke out there, Hayes, is that Trevor Etienne is considering leaving. That is the – and in fairness – he has not said that. Nobody has confirmed that. He may not leave. I don't want to misrepresent this. But it's almost naive not to suggest that people are talking about it now because they are. So so Trevor Etienne possibly leaving. Uh, Shamar James was, was, was rumored, but he, he refuted it. He came out pretty much and said, don't believe everything you say, which tells me he's not. He wouldn't have done that, I think, if he was leaving. Well, and again, this is going to be the yeah. torture that Gator fans are going to have to right. be subject to for about a month. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, look, not anything that somebody says today, yeah. uh, there's another full month for them to reconsider their options exactly. and, and possibly get in. And until this portal closes, Florida fans are going to have to worry about ETN, Shamar James. Those would be nuclear weapons being dropped on Billy Napier if those two leave. And there's others, too, that they can't afford to lose. Yeah, Trey Wilson. But the perception 
of where his program is if he loses ETN or James or Wilson, the few good players that he actually has, that he's cultivated and developed, he has, if they leave, he has no chance of success next year. And the conversation will become Florida should have fired him the day after the FSU game. Well, well, the, the, maybe if he loses his, his nucleus, there's no other way to look at it. Well, here's the, well, 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 yeah, there is. The other way to look at it is, is he is going, no matter if they all stay or they all leave or the building collapses or the building doesn't, he will be judged by how they do next year. That, 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 none of that's going to change. Now, he may go out in the portal and get a bunch of guys that are similarly good. I don't necessarily think he will, but, but that, that's how he's going to be judged. He's gonna, we now know he's not fired. Barring anything nefarious, he's not fired now. So he's going to be judged on how they do next year. But to that end, how they do probably early next year. That's, that's the big part of this. So what if the recruiting class really fell apart also and he loses those guys? Still absolutely. I'm gonna make not a prediction fired. he's not fired. Yeah, yeah they're okay. not I, I'm yeah, not yeah, saying yeah, that either. Yeah. They're not going to fire. Not right. Him. My point is I think you could be ten days away yeah. from a lot of fans wondering why didn't they yeah, do yeah. it? More fans if this is where to, it to was gonna point. end up yeah, to your point. why didn't they do it and just go ahead and right. take their losses now Which, as opposed you, yeah. to punting on twenty twenty four. Here's what you're saying. Right now, the fan base is split. Some want him to stay. Some think he should be fired. More will come over to the fired side. Exactly. Yeah, I hear you. I don't, I don't debate that. But I think the way – I mean, you can almost argue that Graham Merch is more important than Trevor Etienne. He's not nearly as good a player. He's not going to be the, the, the NFL player he's going to be. But he probably has more to do with whether they win those first four or five games than any running back does. He's the quarterback. So, so that's the one – again – See, here's where college football, I was thinking about this. I never got to it today. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. But I was telling Greg McGarrity this. Here's what's happened. Because of the, fire, the big money, let's fire everybody right away, how loud fans are on social media, how loud fans are, how fast they want someone fired, and how that thing just starts, starts to creep up, how that affects recruiting and affects the portal and affects the players to say that the most important thing now for a coach to do at a blue blood is win the first year or two. That's the most – it never was that way. At Missouri, you can still not win right away. At Illinois, you can not win right away. But at a blue blood, particularly at Florida, if you don't look well coached and win early, people want you fired. That, that's the bottom line. Whether, it's, whether, you, whether people like me like it or not, Mike Bianchi wrote a column this week saying what I've been saying. He should get four years because that's how you build a program is with your four years. But – that's not going to happen if they start poorly next year. So what's changed in college football is, at a blue blood, particularly, I mean, in Florida is one, how you do, how many games you win, how well coached you look, how functional you look in that first year and a half is critical. It never used to be. What used to be is, are you rounding up enough players to where if you get enough of them by year three or four, you're good. That, that's where the paradigm has changed. You better look well coached and you better win early, or there's going to be – by the way, there's always been boosters and fans who are angry when you didn't win early, but they didn't have the effect they have now because there wasn't the portal. There wasn't guys leaving. There wasn't so much, a, there wasn't so much social media where fans can talk to players and recruits and all. So if you – whoever uh, – let's say, let's say uh, Brent Venables is out at Oklahoma. Let's, uh, let's say he gets fired next year, okay? Whoever gets that job, whoever – if, if – 
Lane Kiffin gets that job, if, if whoever, if Jed Fish gets that job, if he doesn't win in the first year and a half and they look like they have some coaching errors, he's out. That That's what's changed in the world where that was never the case many, many years ago. That's what is so different now. Well, you can look at Florida State. They believed Willie Taggart was not the guy. They right. went ahead and they pulled the trigger way earlier than right. most people thought. They hired Mike Norvell. They did suffer through losing seasons, but now they're in a much better place. So sometimes firing a coach early, if you think that's what's best for your program, is fine as long as you get the next guy in there that you believe is right and you have some patience with him. That's the part where the Gators fans don't have patience. And let me tell you what I was told by people that I know at FSU that I trust, that I know are really connected. Willie Taggart, it was a disaster. The culture was messed up. There was infighting. They were poorly coached. They would show up late for meetings. They were... The coaches' meetings, there was no system. The The word got out to high schools and others that this thing was a disaster, and the word got out, okay? Mike Norvell came in there. Just the opposite. Forget all the wins. Forget the wins and losses for either guy, okay? Because they both lost a bunch in their first four years, right? But, right? Willie Taggart and, and Mike Norvell both lost a bunch of games in their first, right? Is that okay? But the word was that the culture was right that the players liked the staff, that the staff knew what they were doing. They made some mistakes, but that it felt right in the building, okay, that it felt right in the building. So to your point, Lauren, the wins and losses notwithstanding, the people close to FSU feel like there was two entirely different regimes, which is why one guy was ousted in two years and the other guy they were going to have patience with. Apparently at Missouri, I don't know any of the insiders at Missouri, but apparently they felt like, he was doing a lot of the right stuff, even though they weren't winning very many games his first few years there. The question I have at Florida is I don't know where that is. I'd love to tell you everybody feels like it's on the right path and it's going to be fine and the way they kind of did with Norvell. But I, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, and I know a lot of people there, but there are some people that are concerned. There are some people that are concerned that, 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 that he is challenged as a coach and that he needs to make those changes and they're not sure he's going to make the changes. And the culture's good. The respect is good. The players play hard. They show up at meetings. They play hard for him the whole time. And that's what will buy him at least the third year and I think the fourth year. But but they don't know. But is he willing to do the coaching things, make the different coaching changes? So, so, that, so that's the point. That's the difference between Taggart and Norvell. There was a belief inside FSU that the first guy, it was never going to happen under him. And with the second guy, there was a belief that it was going to happen, and the belief, and both beliefs probably came true. They did, and that's the biggest question: is is Napier doing everything right? And yeah. I think some people would point to Jabari Lyons spitting, saying he doesn't yeah. have the right culture and the discipline isn't there, yeah. and lots of other things too. Yeah, I would never say that. That's one. That's one kid. That I, one thing I have not heard is that he's got bad kids that they're doing bad. Th- I haven't heard any of that. I, I, I'm the dumbass that spit should be penalized, but I wouldn't penalize Billy Napier for that. That's one guy making a dumb decision. But I, so I haven't heard that. What I have heard is, is he overmatched as a sideline coach? That, Which, that, that, that's, that's the question that people in the inside have because they have a TV just like we do. Right. I mean, I don't know what, how much more evidence he could have possibly provided that he's not good at it. Yeah. I mean. And, that's, and that one's hard to argue. Yeah. I mean, he's got no feel for trick plays at all. Again, how do you run a trick play against Georgia from midfield right. that doesn't work? It's a bunch of reverses, does nothing. 
and then five weeks later get to the same part of the field up 12 nothing, (laughs) and say, I'm going to run that trick play that didn't work against Georgia. It's insulting to FSU and their coaching staff to think that they wouldn't be prepared for it, and it kills your drive. You're up 12 nothing with a chance to go up 19 to nothing very late in the first half with an electric swamp, and you run the dumbest trick play that I've ever witnessed in my life, and it ruins your drive because you get an intentional grounding penalty, and now it's second and 24, and you end up punting, and they score a touchdown, and it's 12 to 7, and then they get the ball to start, and they score, and now you're down. I mean, it, it, it's, that's one, one instance of several throughout the fall that clearly showed he has no idea how to manage a game. He has a terrible use of his timeouts, and he is a bad in-game coach. And I just don't think that's going to change enough. I think you could give him George's roster, and he's going to the Outback Bowl. Well, well, I don't think that. But I do think if you're right, well, then he's going to get fired. Because if, 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 if you're right, then he's going to get fired. By the way, breaking news from Graham Hall at 24-7, as expected, Graham Mertz is coming back. Graham Mertz has announced he's coming back. You made a good point yesterday. Hick had made the same point on the podcast. When Max Brown came out that early to leave, that pretty much told the world that Graham Mertz was coming back. So so Graham Mertz is coming back. That is big news. That's big news for Florida, and it's very big news for Billy Napier. Back with news and notes after this. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. What's going on in the world? It's time for Frangie Show News and Notes. Here's Lauren Brooks. It's been hauling oats on this old rock Thursday. Always a Stanley Pools Thursday. About to get to that news that Frank just let everyone know, but I would be remiss if I did not mention, yesterday we raised $268,131 in the 16th annual Tom Coughlin J-Fund Radiothon, Radiothon. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who contributed Donated, listened, supported. Uh, those dollars make a massive difference. All right, Frank did tell you right before we went to break that big news in the world of the University of Florida. Graham Mertz has announced that he will be returning to the University of Florida. And one Florida State note, Florida State's Mike Norvell, head coach there, he is ACC Coach of the Year. And by the way, did you know that that is the first time an FSU head coach won ACC Coach of the Year since Bobby Bowden won it in 1997. Yeah, and so you'll... even the year Jimbo Fisher won right. at Florida State, he was not ACC Coach well, of the Year. Well, number one, first, of, first the FSU news. Mike Norvell deserves it. He, he's done a great job of that program, and, and and good for the good for him, good for them. As for the the Merch news, Hayes, it's big news. I wonder with all the stuff out there, if Billy went to Merch and said, "This would be a pretty good time to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone knows you're coming back. They're probably coming back. This would be a pretty good time to say." The whole unfinished business because that thing is blown up now. The fact that Graham Mercedes, which what a great irony! The guy that nobody wanted in mm-hmm. Gator Nation, Gator Nation is over the moon now <laughs> that he's coming back. But but I think Hayes, of all the potential bad news out there, Gator Nation needed that one. Really needed that one. I, it's it's obviously going to send a strong message to the players, the the key core players that are thinking about transferring out uh, to know that their quarterback is going to return. And it creates a more attractive environment for portal receivers, portal tight ends, portal offensive linemen, uh, to to know that there's an established quarterback there that they know they're going to be playing with. 
Uh, and so it, it, it absolutely helps. And we've talked about the start of the schedule next year. Miami comes to the swamp in week one. You need to have a veteran quarterback, somebody that has, has, has been there and, and, and accomplished a lot in his college career and, and produced a, a, a good statistical season in the SEC. So, you know, Florida needs to get off to a great start. This will certainly help having Graham Mertz in there. And again, assuming you get DJ Lagway and he signs December 20th, then you really have probably one of the more enviable quarterback situations in the country in terms of a veteran and a, uh, a really exciting young player to learn from him. Oh, how the world has changed. Florida victorious. Quote tweeted Graham Mertz's tweet and said, excited to continue the mission with you, Graham. Gator fans, are you with us? Join today. In other words, we had I mean, to pay this cat, I mean, so please give us some money. The guy that nobody <laughs> in Gator Nation wanted nobody. is the guy that they're all excited. But he, I tell you what, though, he's a pretty good player. I mean, he, he's a pretty good player. 73% damn, he, completion is great. 20 touchdowns, three picks. And by the way, even though the last pick was his fault, all three interceptions hit a receiver in the hands first. Now, mm-hmm. look, the, the, the one to Bordingham was too high, but – I mean, he's pretty damn good. Now he's got. I worry about him staying healthy because he he seems frail out there. He just seems like. But he's he's pretty damn good in that. Boy, if a team ever needed good news about a guy coming back, they needed that good news. I mean, so they did. Yeah, certainly. Uh, quick basketball note before we get to takeaways: Florida lost last night to Wake Forest, eighty-two to seventy-one, despite Rayleigh Kugel having twenty-four points and five rebounds. Gators don't play again until Tuesday. Florida plays host to Merrimack at seven p.m. Still no Micah Hanlogton. UNF fell to Iowa last night. The Ospreys play host to High Point this Saturday at 2 p.m. JU improved to 5-2, and two, beating Campbell last night, 62-48. to 48. JU is at Georgia Southern on Saturday at 3 p.m. And FSU fell to 4-3 and three after the 68-66 loss at home last night to Georgia. Of course, Mike White led Georgia. FSU at number 17, North Carolina, Saturday, 2 p.m. Yeah, I didn't, we didn't get into any of the basketball because we had so much other stuff today. It was a bad loss for Florida. Uh, that was a, they didn't play very well. Uh, they didn't play with much toughness. Um, I hope uh, Hanlogton is back for the uh, the the NIT opener against LaSalle. <laughs> um, the, the, um, but the uh, but they didn't play very well. I mean, I thought Clayton they, they passed. They, it was old Florida pass up good shots, take bad shots. Other than Kugel who tried to take the game over, good right. for him. Clayton and Pullen, two guys who I thought would be that guy, didn't play very well. I thought that's right. Yeah, they and they weren't very tough. You know, I think right, that's the right. thing. And look, it was uh, it was atrocious officiating. It really uh, is. But you've, you look, you got to rise above that. It's college basketball. You're going to run into nights where the officials are, are bad, and, and they were really bad, and, and Florida let it affect them. Time now for today's takeaways. Now, today's takeaways, brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. My, my takeaway is I'm excited about the Gator Bowl. I think uh, it was good hearing from Greg McGarity. I think they've got a really good mix of teams, and so whether it's North Carolina, LSU, I mean, that'd be unbelievable. Drake May versus Jaden Daniels, potentially. Uh, or whether it's NC State, Tennessee, uh, two teams that, you know, certainly uh, have, have had spectacular moments. Uh, looks like the Gator Bowl is going to be lined up for a, a fantastic game, and that's super exciting. And my takeaway also is something Greg McGarity said, the fact that it could be the four best teams, and that means FSU, even if undefeated, could be left out of the playoff. I think that's ludicrous. Uh, but we shall see what the playoff committee does on Tuesday night. It shouldn't happen, and I hope it doesn't happen. All right, that's going to do it. You got tomorrow off. Enjoy your off day. I do. Thank you yeah. so much. We'll see you back in on uh, Tuesday. On Tuesday. Oh, wow. That's right. No Monday yeah. show. That's no right. Monday so, show. I'll see you all on Monday night. Hey, but. We're, we're back out on the road tomorrow. That's right. Island Wings Southside. So Correct. you and I will be out there. So, uh, so come by and see us at Island, Island Wings Southside location. That is tomorrow. Hayes and I will be there. 
We look forward to you uh, stopping by and saying hello as well, Ryder. For Hayes, Lauren, and for RJ Saunders, I'm Frank Fran. You don't go anywhere. Jaguar Happy Hour, including the Doug Peterson Show, comes up right now on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Come on.